Hello, everybody. This episode has become very special to us. One of the cemeteries we feature is Maple Hill Cemetery. It was suggested to us by one of our listeners, Dana Jones. She not only suggested it, but she also ran out there and took pictures of it for us. And she joined us on this episode to talk about the history and hauntings. About a month and a half after we recorded, Dana suddenly passed away. She was only 38 years old, had two young children. Obviously, around here, we believe that a piece of us continues on even after our death. So we know that Dan is still here. And we feel very honored that she joined us on this episode so that a piece of her is on this episode as well. Our condolences to her family and friends. She was an active part of our Spooktacular crew, and she will be sorely missed. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hey, this is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours for the theater of the mind, we listen to the History Goes Bump Podcast. Supernatural in Central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump Podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 217th episode of the History Goes Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we're bringing you another one of our haunted cemeteries. This is number three, and we have several cemeteries to share with you. And a listener will be joining us to share about a cemetery that's near to her. Before we get into that, I have another podcast for you guys to check out. It's called STAT, and that's S-T-A-T. And yes, it may sound like you're in a hospital because this is a podcast about strange medicine. And so far, Karen, who's the host there, has been talking a lot about lobotomies. So I'm sure it's up a lot of your guys' alleys. So I encourage you guys to check that one out. It's pretty new. So you'll be able to start at it right as it's starting. So that's very cool. And I think Diane does mean up your alleys as far as of interest. Not that we think our listeners have had lobotomies. Well, maybe not all of them. Oh, okay. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Sammy. Hey, Sammy. Eric. Hello, Eric. Fatima. Hey, Fatima. Lori with an I. Hi, Lori with an I. Angie. Hey, Angie. Sheila. Hello, Sheila. Tab. Hey, Tab. This takes me back to, was it the 80s that we had Tab Soda? Yes, it is. (laughs) Michael. Hello, Michael. Sean with an A-W. Hello, Sean with an A-W. Terry with a Y. Hi, Terry with a Y. Becky with an I-E. And Becky with an I-E. Johnny. Hey, Johnny. Mika. Hello, Mika. Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Justin W. 
Hi, Justin W. And Justin R. And Justin R. Suzanne with two N's. Hello, Suzanne with two N's. Bridget with two T's and an E at the end. Hello, Bridget with two T's and an E. Aaron with an E. Hello, Aaron with an E. And Deb. Hello, Deb. And now, this moment, Naughty. Today, our moment in oddity is a story that is shared by our listener, Chelsea Bishop. Her story is about this odd experience at the Los Angeles National Cemetery. To be honest, I'm not completely sure if this cemetery is haunted. Although there are many soldiers buried here, my grandfather and great-grandfather are one of the many. We have visited the cemetery once a year, mostly on Memorial Day, but one year my mom had the strong feeling that she needed to go back and visit her dad's gravestone again. Oddly enough, the day that she went with my dad was Mother's Day, and the place was packed. It is a pretty large cemetery. Unless you have done research ahead of time, you can easily get lost looking for a certain headstone. This is exactly what had happened to my mom and dad. They had to park and were about to start looking for the road number of my grandfather's headstone when they realized the paper was left back at home an hour away. Not wanting to leave after taking so long to arrive, my parents decided they would separate and search and then call each other when one of them found it. Just when my mom was completely frustrated, she heard someone call her. She looked up to see an elderly woman with a cane walk over to her. The woman asked if she could help my mom. My mom told her that she was lost looking for her father. The woman responded, ask God to help you. Now my mom believes that there is a greater power, but not that much. She rolled her eyes and then glanced on the ground. Sure enough, my mom was standing right next to her dad's gravestone. When she looked up to thank the elderly woman, the woman was gone. Immediately, my mom called my dad. He wanted to explain away the situation with, well, the place is packed, maybe you misplaced her. But whoever the woman was, she did not seem to be the type to easily take off and start running away. Maybe there is a helpful guide in the cemetery. I'm not sure, but whoever helped, my family is truly grateful. A ghost cemetery guide certainly is odd. Creepy makes history more delicious. And now, this month in history. month of August in 1795, Jamaica's Second Maroon War began. The Maroons of Jamaica were escaped slaves who ran away from the Spanish-owned plantations that they worked on when the British wrested control of Jamaica from the Spanish in 1655. Maroon means mountain, and that is where the slaves ran and hid to, the mountains of Jamaica. The government felt that the Maroons were a threat, and the two sides began the First Maroon War in 1728. They made peace in 1739, but it did not last, at least not with all of the Maroons. A new governor decided to forget about the treaty that had been signed and arrested two leaders of the Maroons of Trelawney Parish. This started the Second Maroon War. The Maroons held off the British soldiers, which had 4,500 men to their 300, for several months. The governor offered a new peace treaty if the Maroons laid down their arms. They did, but the offer was a trick. The Maroons were arrested and sent to Nova Scotia. In 1800, many of them would be shipped to Sierra Leone. Trelawney is now known as Maroon Town, even though there are no longer any Maroons there. 
We love to visit cemeteries. They are so peaceful, and many of the older ones are like parks. We will be talking about a couple of these park-like cemeteries today. We will be in New York to check out a graveyard that inspired Central Park, Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery. Then there is Spring Hill Cemetery in West Virginia that is home to victims of epidemics and a plane crash. Indiana's Clark County has several old cemeteries with unique legends. And finally, our listener, Dana Jones, joins us to discuss Maple Hill Cemetery and its creepy legend that will make you think twice about the swings at the playground. All of these places of rest have several spirits at unrest. So our first cemetery we have up here is Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery. And this was suggested to us by Margot Donahue of Book vs. Movie Podcast. So thank you to Margot for suggesting this to us. Greenwood, and it's spelled as two words with a dash in the middle. So it's green dash wood. And it's amazing how many Greenwood cemeteries are out there, Denise. We have one right here in Orlando, which we talked about, I believe, on Haunted Cemeteries number one. Yes, we did. So this Greenwood Cemetery is located in Brooklyn, New York. The graveyard is spread out over about 478 acres and was established in 1838. The cemetery was the idea of Henry Evelyn Pierpont. The architect of the cemetery was David Bates Douglas. The gorgeous gates, and it it has these beautiful gates. We have pictures up in the show notes. These were designed by Richard M. Upjohn. He also designed the Pierpont Family Memorial, the receiving tomb, and several shelters that are long gone at this point because they were made from wood. The gates he created are in the Gothic Revival style and feature biblical scenes of death and resurrection from the New Testament, including Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jesus' resurrection, and all of those were crafted by sculptor John M. Moffat, and he did that on Nova Scotia limestone panels. The cemetery chapel was designed by the architects Warren and Wetmore, and finally the Weir Greenhouse was designed by G. Curtis Gillespie. The grounds were beautiful and attracted people from all over the world to come visit and picnic on its grounds. By the 1860s, it had, get a load of this, Denise, 500,000 visitors coming a year to a cemetery. Wow. (laughs) That is amazing to me. I mean, can you imagine having 500,000 people come there every year? And to kind of give you guys an idea of how big of a tourist attraction it was, it was second only to Niagara Falls as the nation's greatest tourist attraction. That is huge. That's really huge. Holy cow. So people were like, oh, should we go to Niagara Falls or to Greenwood Cemetery? Hmm. The cemetery inspired the creation of both Prospect and Central Parks. The grounds feature one of the largest outdoor collections of 19th and 20th century statuary and mausoleums. So I have no doubt this is a place we have to see. Agreed. I really want to go see the cemetery. However, this wasn't always a peaceful spot. The Battle of Long Island was fought here in 1776. Battle Hill is, in fact, the highest point in Brooklyn. Frederick Ruxtell made a Revolutionary War monument named Altar to Liberty, Minerva, which was erected in 1920 and faces towards the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. The Battle of Long Island, or Brooklyn, as it is sometimes called, was fought on August 27, 1776. This was the first battle of the American Revolution after the Declaration of Independence was issued, and it was the largest battle of the war. The Americans saw Battle Hill in the distance and saw the strategic importance, so 300 soldiers went to grab the hill, but the British beat them to it and fired upon them. The Americans pressed forward and eventually took the hill, even though they were outnumbered. The British lost 400 men, but the Americans suffered over 1,000 casualties, 
and the battle was considered a loss for the Americans, and the British eventually took New York City. There are 560,000 people buried here. (laughs) Again, that's so immense to me. Some of the notable people buried here include Leonard Bernstein, Boss Tweed, Charles Ebbets, Louis Comfort Tiffany, Horace Greeley, several Civil War generals, baseball legends, inventors, entertainers, politicians, and artists. Boss Tweed should not have been buried here because he died in the Ludlow Street Jail, and at the time there was a regulation in place at Greenwood that no one could be buried there if they were executed for a crime or died in jail. Somehow his family circumvented the rule. Another criminal who found his way here was John Torrio, a notorious gangster who mentored Al Capone. Roland Burnham Molinex was a chemist in Brooklyn who was angry with Harry Cornish, the director of his local athletic club, and he decided to poison the man. He mailed him a bottle of bromo seltzer laced with cyanide. Unfortunately, the woman providing lodging to Cornish took the bromo seltzer to relieve a headache, and she died. Molinex was arrested and convicted, but was later acquitted. He is buried here at Greenwood. And important to our audience is the grave of Margaret Fox. This is the mother of the Fox sisters who helped to make spiritualism so popular. An obelisk near the main entrance at 5th Avenue and 25th Street marks the burial site of 103 unidentified victims of the 1876 Brooklyn Theater fire. On September 27, 2006, Greenwood Cemetery was designated a National Historic Landmark by the United States Department of the Interior. The cemetery made news in 2014 when a man dressed as a creepy clown was seen holding a fistful of pink balloons, clamoring through the graveyard. So I'm sure our listener Heather is loving this. I can think of several of our (laughs) listeners that are probably going, a creepy clown in a cemetery. No, thank you. Yeah, I guess myself included. Yeah. He wore a polka-dotted outfit and multicolored shoes. He was captured on a couple of YouTube videos, but not arrested. There are more than just pranksters making the cemetery a creepy place at times. Greenwood is reputedly haunted. A photo was taken by a visitor named Mark, and it seems to reveal a misty apparition that looks like a skeletal female. He said of the experience, While visiting the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York today, I was peeking into a crypt and trying to see in. It was too dark to see anything. The only opening was this cross in the door, so I tried using the camera's flash to light up the inside. The flash went off, but it didn't seem to do anything but bounce off the stone. Then when I got home, I uploaded the photo and saw the smoke-like image inside the tomb. I don't know whose tomb it is. I didn't even think to look when I was there. I will go back to see if I can find it. And we have Mark's picture in the show notes so that you can see what he got a picture of there. And I don't know. It looks like some kind of a face looking out. But again, I always have a hard time with this stuff because for all I know, it's something that's been photoshopped in that little cross that's just perfectly put where it needs to be. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But many visitors to the cemetery claim to capture weird ghost-like images in their pictures. So he doesn't seem to be the only one getting these weird pictures. The ghost of Mabel Douglas is seen roaming the graveyard. She had disappeared on Lake Placid. Apparently she was out there on a boat Her body was found at the bottom of the lake. It was petrified and perfectly intact 30 years later. Apparently, the chemicals in Lake Placid had turned her body into soap and kind of held it together. And according to the scuba divers who discovered her, it looks like she had the rope of the anchor around her neck. So I'm thinking that she went out onto the middle of Lake Placid in a boat by herself to probably kill herself. So I think that's what she was doing. She was buried at Greenwood. Revolutionary-era soldiers have been seen in the cemetery from both sides of the war. 
Another ghost story that is connected to someone who's buried here at Greenwood is for that of John Anderson. He was a wealthy tobacconist who was suspected of killing Mary Rogers, a young woman found dead in the Hudson. She had been hired by Anderson to attract customers to his store. It said that he cut a backroom deal and thus never faced prosecution. He claimed to be haunted by the ghost of Mary Rogers. An interesting aside to this is the events were covered by a young writer named Edgar Allan Poe in his story, The Mystery of Marie Roger. We also have a link in the show notes to a fun video tour taken by ABC News. It runs over 20 minutes and you get a chance to look at a lot of these headstones that we've talked about. And the official historian for the cemetery is the one who's guiding the reporter through. Shares a lot of great stories. And he also has keys so that you can look inside some of the crypts that are just amazing. So I highly recommend that you guys check out the link that we posted. Now we're moving on to Spring Hill Cemetery, which was suggested by our listener, Victoria Brooke. Spring Hill Cemetery is located in Huntington, West Virginia. Holderby's Landing was the first permanent settlement in the area of the future Huntington. It was founded in 1775. The Chesapeake and Ohio Railway came into town, and this became a major hub for the railway when it was completed in 1873. Collis P. Huntington was one of the four men who established Western Railroading, and he built the Central Pacific Railroad. He wanted this hub to be the western terminus for the line and established the city with Delos W. Emmons, and they named it for Huntington. The CNO eventually merged with other lines and is today known as CSX Transportation. Huntington was incorporated in 1871 and was the second American city to feature electric streetcars after San Francisco. The first major tragedy for the city came with the Great Flood of 1937, which killed five people. The second tragedy came in 1970 when a plane crash took the lives of 37 football players, five coaches, two athletic trainers, the athletic director, and 25 boosters from Marshall University Thundering Herd team. Five crew members were also killed. The Marshall team was returning home from a loss to the East Carolina Pirates and were flying aboard Southern Airways Flight 932 from North Carolina bound for Huntington Tri-State Airport in West Virginia. The plane collided with the tops of trees on a hillside during final descent into the airport, took a nosedive, and the plane burst into flames. The investigation was never able to figure out the cause, but many believe water seeped into the plane's altimeter and gave improper altitude readings, leading the pilots to believe that they were higher than they actually were. It was night, and they were unable to see the danger that they were in, leading this to become the deadliest tragedy to affect any sports team in U.S. history. The movie We Are Marshall was based on this event. Many of the dead were buried at Spring Hill Cemetery. That was a very, very well done movie. I I don't want to say I really liked it because I'll just say it was well done because it was a very sad movie as well. Well, it was a great way to show that out of tragedy, you could build something wonderful. So you could take tragedy and make something good from it. That That's true. So in that in that aspect, it was a great movie. When Huntington was first established, the city set aside 30 acres for use as a public cemetery. The cemetery derives its name from the nearby Old Spring House. The first burial was in 1838 and is the grave of Elizabeth Prosser. Josephine Webb, who was buried in 1873, is considered the first official burial. 300 Civil War soldiers are here. There's a small potter's field and many of those buried here are from the 1903 smallpox and the 1918 flu epidemics. It is from the burial of one of these 1903 smallpox victims that we have our first story connected to Spring Hill. 
William Alfred Bias was set to be buried in a mass grave and no funeral service was allowed due to contagion concerns. His son showed up and watched from outside the fence. The boy said a few prayers as he was put into the ground and then they noticed a ball of light hovering over his grave. It slowly rose and floated away. The boys followed it and it led them back home where it went through the front door of the house with a thud. Most of the ghostly apparitions are attributed to victims of the epidemics because of improper burial. The Huntington Paranormal Research Society conducted an investigation and have several videos on YouTube with their evidence. They got several EMF hits, particularly after asking for the unseen thing to touch the device. They also captured EVPs, one of which asked the investigators their names and said the word Congress. They also captured a glowing blue orb in several consecutive pictures that were quite interesting. So if you want to check those videos out, it was interesting to see. I kind of got the feeling with the EMF hits, if they're really capturing some kind of spirit, there were a lot of them just kind of passing through. It was almost like I was envisioning Denise that there were these ghosts that were sitting there going, look at these guys out here. Let's have some fun with them. And so they kind of walk by and tap the little EMF thing and get it to light up and then kind of walk away for five, 10 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, then come back. Hey, let's run our fingers across it again because they'd get all excited. Wait, wait, there's somebody here. And then they would ask them questions or, hey, hey, will you touch it? And then, you know, nothing. So it was interesting. And now we're going to head to Indiana to the cemeteries of Clark County. And I got all of these out of the fabulous book that Heather Williams brought to me, Encyclopedia of Haunted Indiana. I was flipping through there and I went, holy cow, look at all these haunted cemeteries in Clark County. Fantastic. So let's go ahead and start with Sellersburg, which is named after one of the men who founded the town, Moses W. Sellers. He and a man named John Hill originally platted out the village in 1846, and they did it in a very irregular way. None of the 42 lots have a right angle. The Jeffersonville, Madison, and Indianapolis Railroad, Railroad passes by the east side of the village. Sellers opened the first store and cement mills employed many of the village residents. The Esrock cement plant is about five miles from the Brick Church Road Cemetery. And the Brick Church Road Cemetery is obviously located in Sellersburg on Brick Church Road, and that's east of Tom Combs Road. There is reputedly a tombstone here that glows green sometimes, but no one can pinpoint which tombstone this is and it seems to change, which makes us think that that's just a little piece of ghost lore since nobody knows exactly which tombstone and then when they do, it's like, well, it's this one and then that guy says it's that one, so it's like, which one is it? But some of the other creepier tales that are told about this feature transparent cloaked figures walking in the cemetery and inside the church at the cemetery. A lot of people claim that they look like druids. So I'm not sure if this is true, but that's some of the creepy stuff they apparently have going on there. That would be very creepy to see. And if my tombstone ever glows, I think it's going to glow purple. I'm positive yours will glow purple. Cool. St. Joe Road Cemetery is located in Sellersburg on SR 111 East on St. Joe Road. This cemetery is part of St. Joseph Hill Catholic Church. There's a tree in the middle of the cemetery that had once been used for public hangings. Visitors to the cemetery claim that they have seen one or more men hanging from the tree on certain nights. That's so nice to have that right there in a churchyard, basically, because this is a cemetery that's connected to a church. So, wow. So we had some public hangings right next to the church. Henryville, Indiana's claim to fame is that it's the birthplace of Colonel Harlan Sanders, who, for people who don't know, because you've been living under a rock or something, is the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
You're looking good. Yeah. So everybody knows Colonel Sanders for sure. And if you want to know about his life, the History Dweebs podcast did a great biography show on him. It was fascinating to hear about his life. And if you want to know what's creepy about him, look at the new Colonel Sanders because he creeps me out. The village was founded in 1850 and was originally named Morristown. Pennsylvania militia Colonel Henry Ferguson purchased the land upon which Morristown was established, and he convinced the Pennsylvania Railroad to bring a line to Clark County. For his efforts, the village was named in his honor in 1853. Mount Zion Cemetery is in Henryville and located at the east end of Blue Lick Road and Mount Zion Road. The haunting at this cemetery is connected to a woman who was killed on the road just outside the cemetery on Blue Lick Road. She manifests as a full-bodied apparition, enveloped usually in a green haze as she walks through the cemetery. She seems to enjoy jumping on cars, and drivers who have experienced this claim that she leaves behind a sticky residue. I believe we call that ectoplasm. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was going to be called ghost goo. Well, we could call it ghost goo. There's got to be a market in there. Do you remember that there was Silly Putty, but then there was that other like slime. slime. Yes. Slime was really cool. Oh, my God. I just totally had this picture of slime and was thinking, you know, why don't we market that and start calling it ghost goo? We could make a million. I like it. If any of you steal that idea, we're suing. (laughs) (laughs) Mountain Grove Cemetery is also known as Cemetery Hill in Henryville. It's located at the corner of Pixley Knob Road and Mountain Grove Road. Daniel Guthrie was murdered and his body was buried at this cemetery. But it was not buried in a ceremony. The murderer buried the body here to hide it and was not discovered for a year. When he was found, Daniel was buried at the aforementioned Mountain Zion Cemetery. Dan's spirit is not at rest, probably because his murder was never solved. People who live near the cemetery claim to hear disembodied footsteps and see the specter of a young man with a handlebar mustache, which is apparently what Dan liked to wear. Some of them even claim to see his footprints in mud outside of their windows. Investigators have captured EVPs in the cemetery of a male voice crying for help and screaming. One group even captured what sounds like the actual stabbing. They liken the sound to a knife going in and out of a pumpkin. A shadowy figure has been seen in the cemetery and on the nearby roadway. The last cemetery we're covering on this episode is the Maple Hill Cemetery, and this was suggested by listener Dana Jones. Maple Hill Cemetery is one of the oldest and largest cemeteries in Alabama and was founded in 1822, but records indicate that it was a place of burial for some time before that. Leroy Pope was a planter who owned the land and he sold it to the city of Huntsville for use as a cemetery. Inside the cemetery is Drost Park, which has some legends connected to it. There are several unexplained occurrences there and the cemetery itself is home to many hauntings. Now our listener, Dana, joins us to share the history and hauntings of Maple Hill. Well, Dana, you suggested the Maple Hill Cemetery to us. It sounds like one of the creepiest cemeteries I've ever heard of because of the stories that are connected to it. Before we get into that, though, obviously, if you're listening to our podcast, you must be into the paranormal. So what got you interested in the paranormal? It's, it's been something that I have enjoyed my whole life. Uh, I went to school up in Ohio. The school that I went to was reputed to be haunted. We had a, a haunted theater, a real old building. It used to be a Catholic nun uh, convent, turned to a Juilliard school, and then eventually into Dayton Christian. So it had a lot of hauntings uh, tied to it. And then when I went to college at Georgetown College in Kentucky, we teased that I had a ghost as a roommate. I like to say that he liked the country music channel and the weather channel. 
because I would walk into my room, wouldn't turn on any lights, but immediately the TV would turn on. <laughs> and <laughs> it was one of those old Sylvanias that had the red numbers that you could punch in the code and it would, you know, go to channel 15 or 22 or 11. And instead of scrolling the numbers, it would go random number patterns. And I would yell out, I'd say, just pick one already. And it would inevitably land on the country music channel <laughs> or the weather channel, which there are two things that I really don't like watching. And that's the news or country music. Uh, <laughs> so it definitely wasn't one of the channels that I had been watching. Well, that's um, interesting. So like it wasn't just <laughs> popping back to a channel that you had already had on. No, it it was something that I would normally have have never watched. Uh, so it was it was very random. It not only happened with me, but I had a a friend that would come up and use my computer, and she walked in and it would do it to her, and she came running out. She's like, "Something's wrong with your room." I said, "Oh yeah, it's just to go say hi to Bill." <laughs> um, so and it was a girls' dormitory, so I don't know where I decided it was a man, but I, I guess anybody who likes country music in my book is, you know, Garth Brooks or. Trace Atkins or something like that. So <laughs> Too bad that, you know, if you have to have a ghost as a roommate, couldn't he at least have done some of the studying for you? Could you write a paper for me? No, he never did. He, he almost just made, made it hard to concentrate. <laughs> so, cause the, you know, the country music videos, you'd get addicted and say, okay, what happens next? So then you end up watching them. <laughs> exactly. Because they're like little mini soap operas. <laughs> you lose everything and then you get it all back at the end. Exactly. <laughs> well, this Maple Hill Cemetery is in Huntsville, Alabama, which is a city we've never been to. So could you tell us a little bit about Huntsville? Huntsville is a very eclectic town. I like to call it the furthest south you can go and still be part of the north. It's not your typical Alabama city. We have a lot of transients that come here. We have Redstone Arsenal. Uh, which is a head of missile command and does a lot of defense contracting. Then we also have Marshall Space Flight Center, which is one of the NASA complexes, um, which is actually where I work. So you have Varner Von Braun that um, worked out of Huntsville. Wow, and, I had uh, no idea. What a history there. Yes, yes. Uh, we have a large German component that lives here in Alabama from the people that defected from the German army and came over with Werner von Braun. In fact, our uh, civic center is, is the von Braun Center, and there's debates on how you say it, von Braun or von Braun. Interesting. So, so do people have an issue with them kind of giving him that kind of honor? It depends. He did a lot for this area of town, and he did a lot for America. Sure. Uh, he put us on the, uh, on the actual space race. Mm -hmm. So uh, he is very honored here in Huntsville. The, I'm, I'm not exactly sure... Why George Marshall ended up getting uh, Marshall Space Flight Center named after him instead of Von Braun. But we have several base installations that are the Von Braun buildings and that type of stuff. His name pops up everywhere here in Huntsville. If, if there's an issue with him, I don't really see it. The movie October Skies, which, which follows a couple of boys that wanted to go into space and build their own rocket. Von Braun actually talked to one of those boys at one point in time. And he didn't realize that it was Von Braun until he had gone home. And uh, so, you know, he was a real personable fella that uh, that lived here. And uh, he, he did a lot. I wouldn't have a job if not for him. So I'm kind of thankful for him. Sure. So. Well, it's kind of cool that you have all that stuff that's connected to the space program and NASA there because we have that here in Florida as well. Yeah, I've, I went back when I was 11 to Hubble being launched from Cape Canaveral. And oddly enough, about 
15 years later, I worked on the Hubble Space Telescope project with the, a lot of the team members doing the Chandra uh, Space Telescope. So. Wow, that's very cool. The <laughs> Hubble's taken some amazing pictures out there. So that's cool yeah. that you were part of that. Yeah, I was just their code monkey, did a lot of editing and proofreading of their documents until I proved myself that I could actually do a little bit of coding. Well, awesome. So the Maple Hill Cemetery, not only is this the oldest cemetery there, but it sounds like it is rather large. It is huge. Um, I went walking around it today and didn't think I'd ever find my way back to the car. It's <laughs> over 100 acres. Oh, wow. Um, they believe there are over 80,000 graves wow. uh, known. There's possibly up to 100,000 that are there on site. And oh, it is a, such a beautiful, beautiful place. And it was peaceful. We're in summer in Alabama. And I went walking around most of the places. It was shaded. Most of the places, it was really nice and cool. It was quiet and it was serene and it was just, it was beautiful with the old oaks and a lot of the maple trees, uh, which is where it gets its name. Okay. Uh, it was just beautiful. Do you know when it was founded? It was founded in 1822. It was uh, 2,000 square feet that was donated by the Pope family to Huntsville for the cemetery. And uh, it was part of their plantation. And then after Pope's death, they deeded the rest of the family plot to the cemetery. And this was uh, incorporated from the Leroy Pope Plantation. You know, it always amazes me, Denise, how many of the cemeteries started off as plantations that were donated to become a cemetery. I know that's just, I don't know, odd, but I mean, I guess cool. they, had, they had a lot of land, so I guess it makes sense. But it is amazing how many of these, because uh, Bonaventure in Savannah, Georgia, the whole reason why it's called Bonaventure is that's the plantation that was there originally. Well, a lot of personal family burials were, were taking place on the plantations, and they would just incorporate them, especially if the family was prominent in the area, then they would incorporate them into the current graveyard. Well, that makes sense. And the Pope family, they were buried here to begin with as well. Wasn't that true? Yes. They believe they were the first burials were the Pope family. The oldest grave is an infant who died in uh, September 1820 to the family of the uh, Atwoods, uh, William and Martha Atwood. That's the oldest known grave that is in, in the plantation cemetery. Do they have it separated out into different areas? I know a lot of cemeteries have. This is the Jewish area. This is the Catholic area. They do. Uh, the Jewish cemetery and the Catholic cemetery wasn't actually presented until the 1850s or 1870s. That is when they were founded. They were granted specifically for religious practice in 1873. They're on the south side of the burial areas. The, the plots... They have the old section, they have the newer section, uh, they have the expansions. They have an actual Confederate soldier's graveyard. Huntsville was under siege during the Civil War, and over 200 Confederate soldiers died in connection to the siege of Huntsville. And an unknown amount of Union soldiers also passed away, and they were buried there in the Maple Hill Cemetery. Uh, they have a beautiful soldier's cemetery where the stones are the white stones and rows. And I got a picture of it, so I'll send it to you. And they also erected a marker in 1901 to the Lost Cause, uh, which was the Confederate War. So the epitaph on it is, uh, for all your flag, the, the cause is spent, or something very similar to that. I might have paraphrased. But it was very, uh, very moving. I'm a military child, so to see to see the, the soldier's cemetery. And it was well taken care of. It was, it was clean, and it was, it was fenced off. 
the large oaks kind of it, it it takes you back to Terra almost the big furling oak trees and the and the beautiful spread that uh, you had kind of laying behind it. One of the interesting things that I saw about the cemetery is that I don't know if it's right smack dab in the middle of it, but they have that Huntsville Meridian that runs through yes. there. Yes, yes, the Huntsville Meridian was actually founded by one of the surveyors, uh, Freeman. Who, who did a survey, and it is the largest monument that is located in the cemetery. It was erected by Richard William Anderson to designate the meridian in memory of his Anderson and Tabber relatives. Mr. Anderson was an outdoor enthusiast who was known for taking his cotton by boat to New Orleans and then walking back to Huntsville. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a pretty long walk. That is a long walk. <laughs> it's not exactly like an afternoon stroll. No. Hey, I'm going to walk no. from New Orleans to Huntsville. Yeah, and depending on what time of year that was, that would have been a hot walk. Yes, yes, it would have. Oh, my goodness. And plus, you know, you're talking about swamps and stuff. I don't think I'd be wanting to walk anywhere through any of that kind of stuff. No. So do we have some well-known people that are buried here, do you know? We do. Um, we have many governors and, and state representatives uh, that were buried here. We also have Albert Russell Erksine who uh, owned the Studebaker Company, and he lived in South Bend, Indiana, but his family was from Huntsville. And when he died, uh, he came back, and there's actually the Erxine Mausoleum there in, in the cemetery. And he built it in honor of his mother, Sue. There are a lot of legends and a lot of lore that go around this mausoleum. We also have many, many Confederate generals. We have the Burrett family, who is very prominent here in Huntsville. They deeded their land to the city, uh, and it's beautiful. It's a mountain home, and they uh, it's for the preservation of historical life. So it's got the original buildings. You go up there in the summer, and they teach you how to spin. They show you how to shear sheep. They show you how to dip candles. They, they take you back to yesteryear, and that's what the Bruits wanted their homestead to represent, is, is that snapshot in history. They're buried here in Maple Hill Cemetery. Thomas Bibb, which is um, a war hero of the War of 1812, and his family is, is buried in this area. We have the actress Tallulah. I, I like to call her the original Lady Gaga, because she uh, was very eccentric. Is that Tallulah um, Bankhead you're talking about? Yes, ma'am. Oh, it is. yes, I love her. <laughs> love her. Love her. She is. She is from Huntsville, Alabama. I did not know that. How cool! Yes, yes. We have several monuments to her here in in town. She referred to her followers as the goddesses. Lady Gaga has her little monsters, and Tallulah had her goddesses. Very cool. <laughs> we have a very famous cow that is buried at Maple Hill Cemetery, and her name is Lily Flag. Uh, she was the top milk producer and cheese and butter maker. And yes, she has a plot in the cemetery. Wow. Now that's a first. <laughs> I have not heard of a cow being buried in a big cemetery like that. She must have been really we, good at making milk. She was. She was She was a national champion, apparently. <laughs> wow. You'd think she'd be from Wisconsin or something with cheese and milk rather than Alabama. <laughs> I, yes. We also have Pepe, the puppy dog. Oh. He was a, a Mexican Chihuahua, and he was the beloved companion of the Edward Walt Rolfe family. He is also interred at the Maple Hill Cemetery. We have many, many mausoleums on the site. I was, I was looking through. We have the Richardson Mausoleum. Not really much. I couldn't find much on, on who they were, but they were uh, lawyers, a family of lawyers, and they, they founded several law offices here that, that you see kind of crop up, the Richardson Laws uh, Law Offices. 
Governor Robert Miller Patton, who was the 20th governor of Alabama. His plot and his family are all buried there. Several of them fell in the Battle of Selma and the Battle of Shiloh. We have the general ordered the first shot at Fort Sumner is uh, buried in Maple Hill. General Leroy Pope Walker. He was the the <laughs> second constitutional convention of 1875, and he was the one that ordered to fire on Fort Sumner as the Secretary of War to um, President Davis. Wow. So he basically was the one who started it all. He was. Fire of the first shot of the Civil War. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Have you heard anything about the Gypsy Queen being buried there? Yes. She is in the cemetery. I could not find her marker, but she did have 300 Huntsville Gypsies that followed her on procession to her burial. She was buried in full Gypsy honor, and the celebration lasted well into the night. It was one of the longest running funerals that I could see uh, they mentioned. Did they say anything about the legend that is connected to her in regards to her treasure? Yes, there's supposedly treasure buried with her in the cemetery, which might be why I couldn't find her marker. They might have taken it down. Mm -hmm. But that she had, I don't know if they gave a figure, tons of treasure, gold and, and jewels that were buried with her part of the gypsy rites. Yep, that would make sense why they would keep it kind of a secret because of grave, grave robbers and such. Well, and what I've heard is if you touched the headstone or anything like that, you would be haunted by her. I hadn't heard that part. Uh, we, we do have a lot of different hauntings that are in the graveyard, but she wasn't actually one of the haunts that I found. Well, and it could just be obviously a legend to get people to not mess with her grave. I have a feeling, you know, we know we have these little urban legends that are meant to actually keep people from doing things. They don't actually have any real truth to them. So makes you wonder how much of that got started maybe by the cemetery itself so that people would stay away. Yeah. Well, we actually had Sarah Carter that had to get relocated because of her haunted legacy. And she was uninterred and buried in an undisclosed location. Because it was, you know, if you touched Carter's grave, then her ghost would appear and chase you. Uh, One of those types of legends. And the teenagers in the area basically destroyed the tombstone. And so they, they moved her. That is too bad. I absolutely hate it when I hear about tombstones being damaged like that. And just sometimes kids don't understand the value of things like that. Mm -mm. Now, I was just doing image search just to look at, as you were talking about all the different graves, and I came across a, a monument that's like a angel or something with wings holding a sword. Have you? Yes. Is that somebody specific, or is it just a really cool monument? It is. It, that's one of the ones I, I believe I took a picture of, and it was really interesting. And I could not find a name associated with it, but she is known as the guardian angel. Hmm. Yeah, because I've never seen a marker like that, so I just was like, wow. And then there was a Celtic cross that was in there as well. And that not, one's not rather large, isn't it? Yes, yes. And and the name was not Irish, uh, which kind of confused me. It was like Dunhurst. So I was sitting there going, okay, you've got an, a Gaelic cross on a German grave. Okay. <laughs> maybe they really liked that, or maybe they even followed that. Who knows? Yeah, they might. Now, the thing that makes this cemetery really unique and for me makes it pretty creepy is the fact that there is a playground. Is it in the middle of it or where is it located? 
depending on who you talk to or or what you read, it's inside the cemetery property lines, but it is actually on the outside of the stone wall. Like I said, I, I walked through the cemetery today, and I actually walked to their dead children's playground, which is what it's known. I think it's like Doris Park, but nobody here in Huntsville calls it that. It's the dead children's playground. And so I could walk from the graveyard into the park and then back. Uh, so in 2007, they were going to expand the plot line. And one night they went in and removed the playground equipment. And the city of Huntsville revolted. They got so bent out of shape that they took this park away. It's actually a, a favorite treasure here in Huntsville. They they caused such a, such a fuss that the city not only returned the playground, but they updated all of the equipment. Ooh. How do I ex- describe this park? It's in a, a grove. You've got stone cliffs that are all around this park. So it's actually kind of down in a bowl, uh, a little valley. And so it's secluded. It's this little niche. And this park is down in there. And it has tons of legends around it. I couldn't find anything to actually support the claims. But there is a claim that back in in the 1960s, there was a rash of child abduction cases, about five children that went missing and that they found their their skeletons and their bodies there at Dead Children's Playground. And one of the things that people do when you visit the playground, you leave a stuffed animal, uh, you leave a candy bar on the swings for these children. The swings will move. And and like I said, this is down in a bowl. So there's no wind. There's no wind. (laughs) The swings move on their own. It's a gentle sway, but it's definitely perceivable. You have giggles, laughs, orbs. There's tale of a woman pushing her child on the swing, a ghostly apparition, uh, pushing her child on the swing. Hmm. I, when I was there, it, when I walked up, the, the two infant swings were slightly moving, but when I walked down, they stopped. So I'm That's not interesting. sure. That's <laughs> interesting, yeah. Like, did I cause this little breeze to go away, and where did it come from? Well, apparently I make TVs change channels, so uh, it's <laughs> Great. possible. Great, so now we're talking about, Dana, there's something connected to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a very tranquil and a very still place. Over in the cavern walls, there's a geomarker that is a baby doll's head. And I couldn't find it. I really didn't really go want to look for it because dolls are one of those creepy things that I just, I don't want to see it. And if it's just uh, the head, it makes it that much worse. Yes. So I just said, mm, it's somewhere over there. Nice, nice. Uh, <laughs> I took a picture and we moved on. But it was it was very secluded and dark because, again, you've got a lot of the large trees hanging over it. So I was there in the noon and it was shadowy dark. And, and dark. So it kind of lends itself to kind of being creepy. But it's it's one of the playgrounds in that area. And they made a case that it was one of the only playgrounds in that area and it needed to remain. The city of Huntsville won and they had to find another way to expand the cemetery. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but did the talk about there being these haunting experiences, did those were those happening before the supposed abductions in the 1960s, or did this happen after we have people talking about these abductions? Because I'm trying to get a feel here for, was this a, an urban legend that got started because people were seeing these ghostly apparitions, so they, you know, attached this 
oh, I bet those are children who were abducted and their bodies were left here kind of story got started. As far as I know, I have not seen when the urban legends have started about when the haunted playground. I can't even find a date of when the park was actually founded. It was, um, it claims it was in the 1869 that the park was actually founded, but that does not seem right to me. That seems pretty early on. Uh, that would have been part of the Pope plantation at that point in time. And that makes so, me wonder all of a sudden, when did we get this idea about having playgrounds? I wonder what year that all got started. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> now uh, I'm going to go down some rabbit hole because I'll have to know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about it until right now, but I'm like, well, I wonder when they started doing the playground thing. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. So I found this great article over on savingplaces.org and it's the National Trust for Historic Preservation. And the title of the article is How We Came to Play the History of Playgrounds. It was almost like they read my mind. So this article talks about how children in the 19th century didn't have formal playgrounds. The original quote-unquote playgrounds were called sand gardens, and they started in Germany in 1885. We didn't see playgrounds appear in the United States until the following year in 1886, and Boston would be the first city to have one. And it wasn't until the turn of the 20th century that playgrounds actually became common in public spaces. One of the reasons why they decided to develop these playgrounds is because back in the day, there was a lot of workers and children were working and the living conditions were very cramped. There was a lot of social isolation. And so they thought, hey, what we could do is create these safe places to get kids off the streets and help with their health and get them socialized. In 1906, the Playground Association of America formed to promote ideas of playgrounds to communities, including benefits, construction, layout, design, and location. And the interesting thing is the initial guidelines said that they should have separate play sections and athletic fields for boys and girls. So I guess they didn't want the boys and girls to play together. And a lot of the playgrounds weren't like what we have today, where you've got your slides, your swings. Back in the early 1900s, they were very organized and kind of dictated how the kids could play. So they would have equipment that would give lessons, basically, to kids. Sometimes they'd have parades. There were little stages so they could do theater productions and other activities like that. Then businesses got involved and said, hey, let's start making some equipment. The early playground equipment was built from galvanized steel pipes, and then they would use ladders and chains. And a lot of the stuff that they used to use back then is all considered dangerous today by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. A lot of you listeners out there are probably like Denise and I, and you played on playground equipment that would not be considered safe anymore. <laughs> a lot of the building went from using this steel piping and such to earthen type stuff, wood, plastic, concrete. And it was interesting during the 1940s and 50s, they would have adventures or junk playgrounds. So these were like, would give you the ability to adventure and explore through caves, landscape. There were building elements using found objects. There wasn't a whole lot of supervision. The 1950s and 1970s, novelty playgrounds came out. So some of you might have played on some of these, had rocket ships, animal shapes, imaginative tunnels and shapes. 
I remember there was a playground we used to go to. It had this big, I think it was supposed to be either a dragon or a dinosaur. I can't remember, but it was part of the playground equipment. You could kind of climb on it. And I believe it was made out of concrete, so I'm sure it was not safe. In the 1970s and 1980s, we got more standardized playgrounds, rounded edges, hard plastic equipment. And then the 1980s to the present is what we have for our modern playgrounds. And I mean, you guys all know what those are. They have safe surfaces, a lot of the little pebble rocks or recycled tires that have been cut into bits. Lots of different theming. A lot of it's plastic, very colorful. So that's the rabbit hole I went down for playgrounds. So now you know the complete history of playgrounds. You're welcome. It just seems to me like if you had these children that were all being abducted in the 1960s, this is relatively recent history. You would think there'd be a lot of newspaper reports on something like that. This would be a big true crime type story, you would think. Right, so. right. And I, I could not find a news article one. Of course, you know, you put into your Google search 1960s mm-hmm. abduct children. That doesn't really <laughs> yeah. do much for your, you know, I'm probably on every single watch list out there now. I, I'm sure they're like, um, <laughs> okay, we better watch out for her. I know there were legends before the 60s mm. uh, surrounding the, the park. Um, I believe it was there for them to be able to find the bodies at the park. Um, So uh, I believe it was founded. I don't know if there were rumors of ghosts or the swing sets moving, but that definitely has been a long running. Part of the theory here probably is that we have children ghosts who would be in the cemetery that are coming out this way. Is what was that cemetery? Is it the one that's in Savannah Savannah. that has the playground outside? Yeah, but theirs weren't regular apparitions. They claimed to have black-eyed children there. Oh yeah, that was really creepy. Yeah. Oh no no no. Mm -mm. That that. That movie, the Caroline or something with a doll with a button, black eyes. I, I can't watch it. The black eyed dolls. Just, woo, no. <laughs> black eyed children would probably be even worse. Yeah. Well, I'm not real big on kids anyway. And if they show up at my door and they're like, let us in and they have funky <gasps> eyes. Yeah. Not happening here. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Now, do we have any other hauntings that are going on in the cemetery other than the kids going off to play on the swings? Yes. We actually have Thomas Bibb. His monument is, is said to be haunted. It said if you stand there at dusk that a coach pulled by black horses uh, is seen driving by. I obviously was not there at twilight, so I can't tell you whether that is true or not. Yeah. The Erxene Monument is another si- uh, place of, of haunting. His wife, Mary, is interred there, and they believe she was interred sitting up uh, in her rocking chair. And the legend is if you knock on the, the mausoleum that you will hear the the rocking chair rock oh wow i've only heard that story in one other place and as a matter of fact i just got done when we were in natchez we went through the city cemetery up there and so we made a video while we were up there and there was a guy who he was not in a mausoleum he was actually buried i I think it's must have been above ground because the tombstone that they have for him it looks like a three-layered cake and he's supposedly sitting in his rocking chair buried that way. So I'm assuming they put him kind of above ground. And instead of it being an official looking mausoleum, it's just these three tiered like marble pieces. <laughs> but somehow he's inside of it. I don't know if there would be very much room for rocking. No. And I kind of, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're comfortable in your chair, but I would hope I would have no use for it. <laughs> right. The other hauntings, uh, like I mentioned, we did have uh, Sarah Carter that was located there but has since been moved. 
those are the big hauntings that were attached to the cemetery was was Thomas Bibb and and uh, the Erxine Monument. You know, I heard about a guy named Philip Flanagan, too, that supposedly his spirit roams the cemetery. Yes, I've heard that. I have not heard his legend. Um, I did take a picture of his his monument, so we'll see if I get visited. But um, <laughs> Well, they say that he wanders around because he doesn't understand why he's deceased. But whenever they say stuff like that, I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> I mean, did he come up to you and say... Am I dead or why am I dead or why am I in this cemetery? <laughs> why can't I get out of this place? Yeah, I did read that one, and it was um, it was a, a single line in in the uh, haunted weird uh, news for weird or something I can't remember that he did not know he was dead, and it's like, well, you're kind of see through that kind of your first indicator. <laughs> and I mean, I guess he's it's like he's aware that he's dead, but he's like, how did I get here? So maybe it's a good thing he doesn't remember what happened to him to put him in that place. Yeah. And I don't, did you say this, that Albert, I think it's Erskine, he killed himself? Yes. In his mansion in uh, South Bend, Indiana, he actually committed suicide. He was the owner of the Studebaker company, the cars, mm-hmm. and they fell into bankruptcy. Okay. And he took his life, and he was actually brought back to Huntsville for burial. See, I didn't realize he had killed himself. Golly. Yeah. Well, I guess when you lose that much money, mm-hmm. you, of course, I've never had that much money to lose. So. <laughs> I, w- I almost would like to have that opportunity to see what it would feel like. But yeah. I don't know. I guess for some people, they can't imagine living without the money, so maybe it's better not to have it. Well, and, and the thing is, is it, it wasn't only the money loss. He was having health problems as well. Okay. He was uh, had heart trouble. He had diabetes. He had been removed at, from from the Studebaker position. The the CEO, I guess, is what we would call it these days. He was removed from that position. He was in severe debt, and uh, he ended up taking his own life. Okay, well, that might be why he is haunting the place. Yes, uh, there is a legend about his mausoleum about he will appear outside of it as well. And just kind of survey the land and mm-hmm. just, you see him standing there. Very, very similar to the, is it Fletcher? Yeah. That that you just see him standing. Yeah, they need to get together and talk to each other about why are we here? That is what, they need to have a, uh, a Dead Man's Anonymous, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Can you imagine walking into a cemetery and you see all these little, the circle of people sitting around going, hi, this is Albert. And I'm dead. <laughs> what are you here for? <laughs> well, you know, I committed suicide. I'm just kind of stuck here for a while. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> they have their 12 steps to moving on. <laughs> oh, my God. I see a T-shirt coming. Uh-oh. God, oh, God, grant my. me the serenity to realize I am dead. <laughs> got it. Hey, they want to be at peace. Help me to have the peace to realize that I am dead. <laughs> you too. We need to do a correction. Okay. I believe it was Mary Bibb, uh, not Erxine, that has her rocking chair in the mausoleum. Okay. Huntsville Pilgrimage Association, they've done a lot with the restoring and also the Twickingham Historical District. They've taken on the women of the Twickingham Historical District, have taken on cataloging all of the graves. And, and like I said, that's over 100,000. So they've they've done a lot for the upkeep and the 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 maintaining of the cemetery. And it is one of the largest and one of the older cemeteries here in the South. 
but just you know the numbers that that they've had it's it's really amazing when you see some of these and you realize the headstone might, might not still be there but they found the record and, and they've taken on to make sure their names are known that's great i love that they do that they also they host a cemetery stroll typically in october and huntsville is it's 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 a weird little gym you know, it was part of the Civil War, but not uh, directly. You know, you don't hear of the great battles. You, you hear of the sieges. Well, Dana, we want to thank you for joining us and for suggesting the cemetery to us. We'd never heard of it, and it has a lot of cool legends around it. Yes, and we haven't um, hit Alabama yet, but that's on our. it's already on our radar for some of the national parks. So now I know another point of interest we're adding to it. Yes. Oh, yes, and, and being the, the tapophile and the daughter of a tapophile, it's one of the best cemeteries to go walking around in. It's, like I said, beautifully maintained, nice and cool. So definitely, that's definitely one to, to put down on, on, your, on your things to work, walk through. And if you're here, I can always score you tickets to the Space and Rocket Center, but y'all have probably already seen what our Space and Rocket Center has. So. We have never been to Kennedy Space Center, I'm embarrassed no. to say. Yeah, we keep missing it every time people are going, we can't go or something happens. So Yeah, it ends up when you live near there, it, it ends up being the uh, the thing you do when people come into town. But yeah, when y'all make it to Huntsville, look me up. I'll take you on the guided tour. Hey, that'll be awesome. We have our own tour guide right there. Thank you, Dana, for uh, joining us again. And hopefully we'll see you in the future. Yes. Oh. Um, My pleasure. Thanks, ladies. I I love your show. Well, thank you. All right. You have a great night. All right. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Cemeteries are meant to be places of rest, and many of them are completely peaceful, but every so often we run across one with shadows lurking among the headstones. These cemeteries harbor some fascinating and creepy stories of hauntings. Are these cemeteries haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, we've got more to add to our taffophile list. Looking forward to checking those out. On our next episode, we're going to be joined by Tim Shaw, and he's going to share with us the history and hauntings of Old Fort Niagara up there in New York. And for people who don't know Tim Shaw, he's a little bit of a paranormal celebrity. He's not one of the big guys out there, but you have probably seen him on TV. And I know Tim going way back to my earlier days of being in internet radio, because that's what he was doing as well. He had been the host of the Black Cat Lounge, and now he's hosting Curiosity Radio, that podcast, and they have a web series as well. So he's going to come on and share a lot of great stuff with us. Looking forward to bringing that to you. We'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we did get an email from Tony. I heard your Paulding Light episode, and I have to tell my story, the ones who would appreciate it for what it's worth. Long story short, five of us plus one other car saw the light turn into a red orb and float until it formed a red triangle and then back to one orb and then follow my friend's car one mile and a half until we were gone. It had an order the way it moved and projected many shadows on the windshield. I'll never forget what I have seen. I went many, many times, and only once did I see this life-changing event. And then we heard from our listener, Angie, and she is in Utah, Denise, and she was really excited to see that we had done a podcast episode on the Portland Cement Factory. And if everyone will recall, or for those of you who haven't heard it, At Halloween, they turn it into the Fear Factory, and she's actually been through it as the Fear Factory. Boy, my hat is off to her because that would creep me out. 
She said, I've been to several haunted houses in my life. I'm not a fan of the scare factor of houses. Most of the time, I just enjoy the sets, props, and makeup jobs and leave with gratitude that the noisiness is over with. This location has a high-quality production that impressed me. The show starts on the outside with impressive murals and even some displays. The inside is dark, and often you are walking on metal walkways and stairs. I'm not sure if they are original, but they do feel authentic. You can tell that much of the original pipes and machinery are still present. On the way out, you take an underground tunnel that brings you close to the fence, the other side of which is a train track. Trains do still run on this track and can get quite loud. It's the only haunted house that didn't use chainsaws to keep their patrons from loitering at the end. All you got to do is run a train through, and I'm sure they're out of there. (laughs) I believe the scare factor of this location based on the acting and production was equal to other higher quality haunted houses that I've experienced. However, there was something here I never experienced elsewhere. I've never really felt anything ominous at haunted houses until I went here. I had a feeling of dread the entire time. This feeling, I'm certain, had nothing to do with the production or with the acting. I didn't see anything paranormal, but the feeling was strong enough that I don't ever want to go back. Maybe it's this ominous feeling that makes it so they don't need the chainsaw guy at the end. And then she also answered our question that we had about the Salt Lake City, their street numbering system. She says that it was built on a grid. Temple Square is in the center. The corner of North Temple and Main Street is zero. From there, each city block is another 100, tacking on north, south, east, or west based on the direction it is from the temple. From there, the measurement is consistent even if the larger thoroughfares may be further apart or the streets may be less straight. House numbers are also derived based on how far they are between the north, south, east, and west coordinates. Odd numbers are on one side of the road and even numbers on the other. Even named streets usually have a number designation as well. Because of this, it can be fairly easy to find a house with only the coordinates. With how large the Fear Factory's lot is, I'm not surprised that 666 would be a legitimate option for the house number of this location. P.S. Most, if not all, cities in Utah use the same grid systems method. Ogden, Provo, and Tooele are a few of the cities that are not directly attached to Salt Lake City as a suburb which uses this system. And then from our Capitol Theater episode, we talked about the Salt Lake Temple. And she said, yes, this temple took 40 years to build. The first reason is because of the material they began with. The original plan was to build it from sandstone. Foundation stones were laid, but threats from the U.S. government prompted the Mormon pioneers to bury and hide the location for a few years. When they recommenced building, they found the sandstone had cracked. They had to start over and chose granite for the building material. The granite blocks were quarried from a canyon that is several miles away. The method used to cut this dense stone was to drill holes in the rock at each corner of the brick. Then they filled the holes with water and waited for it to freeze. The water would expand and freeze, which would break the granite. Wow, isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it's very ingenious. I'm sure that this method would not be effective year-round, so I'm guessing this was a contributing factor to the time it took to build it. So that answered, because I remember asking, how does it take 40 years to build a temple? (laughs) I've been inside the temple multiple times. This is one of the most peaceful locations I've ever been to. As a member of the LDS Church, I'm certain that spirits visit this location as temple work is performed on their behalf or to be present for ceremonies of their living family members. However, I do not believe this qualifies as a haunting since they are not stuck there. I'm certain the location is often blessed and dedicated by the church. In essence, this cleanses the site of all evil spirits and demons and dedicates it to the Lord. I'm not trying to get too religious on you, but this is a religious location to me and to my church, so it's not possible for me to separate the two, which is fair enough. I mean, that's whenever we're in any of these kinds of churches or mosques, you always kind of wonder about that. 
And thank you for explaining the street system because I knew that all my older siblings and like my sister-in-law who also grew up in Utah, to them they're like, it's so easy to get around Utah and this and that. I never drove when I lived there. I lived there for 12 years, but I, I wasn't driving, so I didn't understand all that. But I did know that it was just like 300 east, 40 south or whatever is how they, they would go to places. And so now that makes sense. We also got an email from Madison. And this is really fun and you'll see why. Hi, Diane and Denise. Thank you so much for keeping me company during the day at work and during my commute. I started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago, and I have binge listened ever since. My coworkers began to ask me what I was listening to in my cubicle all day, and now they're hooked too. I have a funny, small world story to tell you. A couple years ago, I began my Disney College program in Orlando at Disney's Polynesian Resort. When I did my orientation for the hotel, Denise was one of the hosts for the day. When I started listening to the podcast, I put it all together because I remember her talking about her ghost hunting adventures and how she renewed her vows there at the Polynesian. I felt starstruck when I realized that because I've become such a big fan of the show. I remember how nice and kind you are, Denise. You really added to the classic magic storytelling experience of my orientation day. Thank you ladies so much for teaching me about all these historic facts that I would probably never have realized unless listening in. Although I will always try to stay far away from spooky locations, if you ever do a meetup in Southern California, preferably Disneyland, of course, I will 100% be there to meet you both. Warm wishes, Madison. And she did put a PS, Haunted Disneyland Attraction Location episode soon. And we have actually already done the Haunted Disneyland. And so you can um, tune into that one, Madison. I've met so many people for my Aloha Day, but your name sounds familiar. And I bet you if I saw a picture, I'd know exactly who you are because I tend to remember faces better than names. But I'm glad that I could make your first day at Disney's Polynesian Village Resort a good one. And I hope to see you again soon. That was so fun getting that email, Denise, because it's like she said, it was this small world story. So I, it's so funny to think that here she was in your Aloha Day. And she remembered you talking about creepy things, but she didn't really pay that much attention to it. And then later on, she gets hooked into this History Goes Bump podcast and somehow puts two and two together and goes, oh, my God, that's like Denise from my Aloha Day. <laughs> yeah. How fun. It was really fun. And we would definitely love to do Disneyland. Yeah, gosh, we need to get we need to get over to California for sure. We've got so many listeners over there and lots of fun stuff to see. So we have a couple of Apple podcast reviews to share. The first one is from Film Roast Podcast. Fun, bumpy ride through time. Five stars. History Ghost Bump gives a listener who loves spooky history three great things. One, the ability to learn about historical events that may have otherwise escaped them. Two, learn about odd things that happened and be moderately freaked out in the best way possible. And three, the opportunity to listen to these great hosts with excellent report. Definitely give these ladies a listen if you want to learn and laugh. Well, thank you, Hannah. I'm assuming that came from you. We appreciate that. Dakes Girl, unique idea, five stars. I searched for a long time for a ghost story podcast that wasn't cheesy or over theatrical. I found it in History Goes Bump. I like the unique blend of humor and history while telling the story of the haunted site. I started on episode one, so I have some catching up to do, but this isn't a chore at all. Thank you. I'm glad you don't consider it to be a chore. We appreciate that. And Light Dancer 22, love this podcast, five stars. I love this combination of ghost stories and history. I love both those topics. The hosts are lovely to listen to, and I binge listen in my car. So thank you, ladies, and I highly recommend this podcast. Appreciate you listening, Light Dancer. That sounds like fun, dancing on light. That would be really fun. Well, it'd kind of be like the old disco days. I guess that's true. We want to thank all of you for tuning in for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye.
This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Annie Caridio, and I hope I said that right, and Mika Van Volpen. Thank you for your one-time donation. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.